stories from your community. This is the 519 Podcast, part of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. There were several people who played significant roles in trailblazing the black press in Canadian history. As we heard on the last episode of the 519 Podcast, those included Henry and Mary Bibb. But the subject of this episode was very unique in what she brought to the table. In a time when breaking through the barriers of racism was already near impossible, Mary Ann Shad Carey had to deal with a historically terrible era of sexism. Despite it all, she became the first black woman to ever open, own, and run a newspaper. This was a significant achievement, but the amazing part is, this was just one of the things she was able to accomplish in her lifetime. It was essentially a single line in a resume that grew for decades, with recognitions and contributions to the abolition movement, to educating settlers in Canada, to getting a law degree, to helping the Union in the American Civil War. She was recognized as a person of national historic significance by the Government of Canada in 1994. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we tell her story. Mary Ann Shad Carey was born into a family of Black abolitionists. Her father had, uh, her father and mother, but mostly we know about her father, Abraham Doris Shad. He had been involved in the anti-slavery movement. He had been heading up uh, anti-slavery conventions on the Eastern seaboard. Abraham and Harriet, her her parents were using their farm as an anti-slavery operations hub. And they were also using it as an underground railroad station. So people escaping from slavery could stay there and seek some safety temporarily on their way north. Um, And she was obviously observing a great deal in terms of these abolitionist conversations and the importance of making sure that people are free. That was Irene Moore Davis, president of the Essex County Black Historical Research Society and a descendant of Marianne Shad Carey. Despite growing up free, Marianne Shad Carey was still not legally entitled to an education. She was born in a state where laws made it clear that black people were not to be taught to read or write. Those were essential skills for what she was able to accomplish later in life, so what her family did was pack up everything and move to Pennsylvania, a fairly difficult trek. They had to sell their farm and move their entire lives to a whole new state, but in the end, it paid off. Marianne got her education was able to continue the legacy of her parents in helping others continue to fight for the anti-slavery movement. She became a teacher, and she almost immediately, in her very early 20s, was deeply involved in the anti-slavery movement herself, attending conventions and meetings and making speeches and writing for various newspapers and writing essays and doing all kinds of things, whatever she could to get the message out there that slavery was awful, that it had to end, and that people who were of good conscience had to do whatever they could to end the institution of slavery. And she went to a lot of conventions where women were frankly not welcome. I mean, back in those days, just because you were anti-slavery and you were pro-racial justice didn't mean that you were not sexist. So there were a lot of gatherings at which only men were welcome, where she pushed her way through, made her way onto the convention floor, got herself up onto the stage and spoke was booed and jostled and treated very badly, but she believed as much in women's rights as she did in the rights of black people. Marianne Shad Carey's travels eventually took her to Toronto for the North American Anti-Slavery Convention, which was a major event in the fight to end slavery. She gave speeches at the convention talking about the need to end slavery while bringing awareness of the horrors enslaved women were facing. 
She informed audiences of the brutality and sexual violence committed against women who were enslaved. She gained the attention of notable abolitionists, Henry and Mary Bibb, who introduced themselves right away. They convinced her to come down to Windsor. They were, at that point in 1851, very much holding down the fort in Sandwich, welcoming newly arrived refugees, helping them to get a foothold, helping them to get settled, helping them to get jobs and housing and so on. They said to her, you know, more and more people are heading into the town next door, Windsor, and we could use some help there. So she made a decision to come to Windsor in September of 1851. This was like basically about nine days after she had attended that convention that she arrived in Windsor. And uh, at that point, the people, the residents of Windsor, because there was just this huge refugee crisis that had really taken hold since the Fugitive Slave Act passed the previous year in the United States. The Fugitive Slave Act caused the largest wave of migration of black people in the 19th century. The need to get to a safe space was intensified by the new law, which allowed the capture and return of people who had escaped slavery and imposed penalties on anyone who aided in the flight. When Mary Ann Shad Carey arrived in Windsor, the number of escaped slaves in the area was obvious right away. They had basically taken an abandoned military barracks situation on the site of what's now City Hall Square in Windsor, and they had converted and converted it into sort of a refugee housing or refugee reception center. Like, think of it as sort of our little Ellis Island in downtown Windsor. There were no schools available to Black kids in Windsor when she arrived, so she was running the only Black school. And she set it up right inside that abandoned barracks, <laughs> those abandoned barracks. So here she is in the middle of this refugee reception center, kind of trying to run a classroom, a multi-grade classroom, day and night. She wanted to educate the people who were arriving, teach the kids during the day, teach the adults at night, make sure that everybody had literacy and numeracy and that the kids had an actual good educational foundation to keep moving. Along with teaching and helping refugees settle into their new homes, Marianne was also writing as part of the advocacy initiative she was already involved with. She used it as a way of informing people who were heading to Canada to escape slavery of what they could expect. The first thing that she did was to publish a book called Notes on Immigration, and it was basically letting people know if you decide to come to Canada West or Southern Ontario, um, this is what to expect. This is what the climate's like. This is not just the economic climate or the environmental climate, but this is what the climate is in terms of race relations. This is what you can expect in terms of, you know, will people let you ride streetcars? Will people let you ride in carriages? Will people let you ride on the train? Um, you know, will they attack you when you go to vote? Like those kinds of things that black people would need to know before they came here. She published it at a publisher in Detroit just across the river. It, it sold very widely. It helped a lot of people, not just formally enslaved people, but free people of African descent who were looking for a place to move because things were getting too hot and difficult in the northern U.S. The writing and notoriety that came with it eventually laid the groundwork for Marianne to begin her own newspaper in 1853. It was called the Provincial Freeman. She had the recognition, the audience, and meaningful contributions that people needed to hear and see. Sadly, all of this didn't overcome the one hurdle she couldn't change. This is Shannon Prince, the curator of the Buxton National Historic Site and Museum and the descendant of Shad. When she started the the, the Freeman, um, you know, because, again, she was a woman, Black woman, starting this newspaper. And because of that, you know, time, a woman, you know, out working, uh, a, a big taboo, if you will. So she just signed the initials. And it wasn't until she was in Toronto. And I don't know. Um, 
and she overheard uh, some people saying, wow, that Mr. Shedd really knows how to, you know, write some, some very interesting and well articulated articles in the paper. And she just, that just stirred <laughs> in her. Um, and she just went back and said back to the paper when it, when it was here in Chatham and said, this is Mary Ann Shad Carey and I am the editor. So she let it be known um, that she was the one who was writing all of these articles. Not only was she the first woman in Canada to publish a newspaper, but she was the first black woman in all of North America to publish a newspaper. And she did it here in Windsor. And, and that in itself is so, so significant, you know, notwithstanding all of the important content and achievements of that newspaper, just the fact that she did it is incredible. From its first edition, the Provincial Freeman was used to project southwestern Ontario as a safe haven for refugees looking to escape the United States. She acknowledged the fact that there were other places formerly enslaved people could go, such as the Caribbean and West Africa. But in her mind, and what she had seen, Ontario was the best place to settle. The contents of her newspaper grew from there. She talked a lot about the problems that they were facing, but also how they were overcoming those problems. She talked a lot about the forms of racism that existed here and how people were contending with them. But she also talked a lot about temperance and refraining from alcohol and living a proper, clean, dignified life and being sort of a beacon to other people and understanding the the burden or the privilege of being a free person in Canada and what it meant to live a dignified, responsible life to make the most of this gift that you had been given by being free in Canada. So that was a, a slight difference in her tone or her focus compared to some of the other Black newspapers at the time. She was really focused on how to make the most of yourself and the kinds of behaviors that would promote uh, success in this environment. But obviously, being the first black woman in North America to own a newspaper didn't come without its adversity. For starters, sexism and racism was obviously an obstacle. But what became a surprising problem was the difference in opinion she had in comparison with other prominent abolitionist voices at the time. This was put on public display when she began to take different approaches than both Henry and Mary Bibb, despite the fact that they had the same goals. What started as an important relationship had a falling out first major difference in opinion they had is what formerly enslaved people should do once they were free and settled in Canada. They really believed that the best thing for people of African descent to do once they got established in Canada was to set up independent settlements and communities where they could live and thrive together, be interdependent with one another, but not so much trying to mix with the white population. Whereas Marianne Shad really believed that it was important for folks to integrate and to fit into these, the uh, settlements, towns, and cities where they had moved and to try to become part of those communities and, and to argue for their rights, to advocate for themselves, but not to leave and go off and be separate. While Marianne Shad Carey was a proponent of integration, the Bibbs were passionate about Black Canadians establishing communities of their own instead of integrating with the white community. They wanted a safe place for the formerly enslaved to thrive and develop together instead of trying to carve out a social standing in the pre-existing society they had moved to. The difference in opinion, sadly, turned ugly. There were people who were saying that she should know her place, that a woman shouldn't be doing this work. And then they would kind of, you know, they would kind of talk about her in very negative ways based on her lack of femininity or things of that nature. I mean, she was a prissy thing. She wasn't, <laughs> you know, she she was a very feminine person. Um, but 
but you know, they were describing her behaviors as very mannish and not very ladylike because she shouldn't be making these speeches. She shouldn't be running this newspaper. She shouldn't be writing these columns and these essays or these pieces for other newspapers. She should know her place. So when they started attacking her womanhood, when they started saying terrible things about her as a person, uh, they actually engaged in kind of a, a campaign of bad-mouthing Marianne Shad that made her lose some of her funding for her school that she was still trying to run because people were afraid to send money towards that effort, thinking maybe she was a bad person, like they were saying. These were three superbly talented people who were all so committed to ending slavery and to making life better for formerly enslaved people. And they were taken time out to like sort of send little insults to each other through the pages of their newspapers and to detract from one another's characters and stuff. And that is just so sad. Segregation versus integration isn't an argument that has been resolved. Some there's value in both, but the Bibbs and Marianne Shad Carey just couldn't agree. This, this argument or this debate, this discussion about integrating versus remaining separate has been part of Black community discussions and conversations, you know, basically since we landed here in the times of the transatlantic slave trade. And it still continues. It still continues. Should we try to have our own Black business districts? Should we have our own schools that are Afrocentric where kids learn about their history and culture? Like those are conversations that continue today, right? Um, and so I don't know what the answer is. And, and I, I can't claim as one individual to know what would have been better or not better, but I can, or what is now. But I think that, but she had a, she had a point of view that was based on her lived experience. Um, she didn't come with the lived experience of someone like Henry Bibb, who had lived in slavery and suffered those kinds of hardships and knew how dangerous and scary it could be to be in a, a racist society where people were actually wanting to do you harm. But I mean, she had a different perspective and she wanted people to thrive where they were living to get along with others, to kind of change people's minds around them through their behavior, through living righteously and with dignity and, and, you know, upholding all of those proper behaviors that were expected of men and women of any background at the time, and to kind of prove people wrong and not to separate, not to segregate themselves, but to demand services and equal rights right where they were living. That was her belief. Marianne Shad Carey had her fair share of hardships, but she pushed through each hurdle. In many ways, she was ahead of her time, breaking several glass ceilings. You know, she showed great tenacity throughout her life, and then she embraced that change, I think. But she, like you said, she had the courage to stand up for her beliefs and voice her opinion in time when many Black women were silenced due to their sex, you know, race, or even economic status. You know, so she didn't let any of those obstacles silence her, um, you know, and sometimes I think because some, because, you know, she was very outspoken, uh, very straightforward. And I think some those those traits, those were her traits. And I think that gave her voice its unique and resonant tone, if you will. You know, here you are, a female editor, newspaper uh, competing against a well-known uh, man. You know, his paper is already out there. Um, and, you know, who in their right mind is one of, you know, what does she have to say, basically? She's a woman and what does she know? I think of a woman in her 20s moving to a new country on her own and taking on all of this incredible uh, life-changing advocacy and activism work and having to do that under a shadow of, like, 
why aren't you married? Why aren't you keeping house and raising children and doing proper lady things? So she had that. But also, um, you know, there were funding issues. She was really struggling. She was a single person, you know, single income household trying to do all this work. Marianne Shadkari was not one to stay in her place. And, um, you know, she believed, as much as she believed strongly that people of African descent should demand equal rights and have every opportunity that people of other races or ethnicities had, she believed that women should have equal rights too. Her speeches, writing, and teaching, everything she did helped inform the public about slavery and contributed to the public dialogue in ending it. Eventually, the opportunity to end slavery finally came to fruition and she was eager to help. When the Civil War broke out, she left for quite a while and went off to recruit uh, soldiers for the for the Union Army. So she's traveling from state to state, going around Indiana and Ohio and, and Illinois and so on, Michigan, trying to recruit soldiers for the Union Army to fight against slavery. I mean, we talk about fighting against slavery. These people were actually going to fight against slavery. And then later, when she went back to school teaching, she was in Detroit uh, doing that. Then she moves to Washington, D.C., and becomes a teacher and a school principal in Washington, D.C., and simultaneously goes to Howard Law School to become a lawyer. (laughs) I don't know how she did this. I don't know if she slept. She had, you know, completed everything, but they wouldn't allow her to graduate until she was in her 60s because she was was a, a woman. And I think one of the most amazing things to me that she did during that time period, you know, between the teaching and getting her degree and, and, um, you know, being involved in the National Women's Suffrage Association. And (laughs) um, she organized a, or actually she founded um, an organization that was called the Colored Women's Progressive Franchise Association, which enabled women to buy stocks and bonds and and to become financially dependent um, (laughs) on their own without having to depend on men. Marianne Shad Carey continues to be an inspiration to Canadians to this day, but especially to black women dealing with discrimination. Both Shannon and Irene are descendants of Marianne Shad, a few generations removed. This is how she's continued to be seen. You know, she is in the U.S. Women's Hall of Fame and has been in there since the 90s. She is a person of national historic significance in Canada. She has a uh, a U.S. registered national landmark in Washington, D.C., which is her former home from when she was living in Washington, D.C., where she spent the end of her life. She had a New York Times obituary um, in recent years when they were when they were kind of going back and, and covering the obituaries that they didn't cover in real time when they should have. She was the subject of a Google Doodle on her 197th birthday because she was this groundbreaking feminist and this groundbreaking Black female, Black woman activist and is understood by everyone to have just been so far ahead of her time in many, many ways. She was, you know, determined. She was passionate. She was you know, an activist, a writer, a teacher, a lawyer. And sometimes I think we forget that she was also a mother. Um, uh, you know, that... <laughs> and to me, doing all of these things, and her husband was living in Toronto, which was, you know, like, you know, close to 200 miles away, and she's down here raising children, and he had three children of her own. But yet, look what she was doing um, during that time period. Um so she, yeah, yeah, she was definitely 
a force to be reckoned with. Um, but, and she left her mark and her legacy um, with so many of us today. And, um, and I think that's wonderful. Marianne Shad Carey's many contributions led to great change for black history, both in and around southwestern Ontario. She faced a lot of resistance for being not just black, but also a woman. This is why your significance continues to be recognized today, but will it ever be recognized enough? I think what's really important is for people here in Windsor to take some time, especially during the month of February, and learn about these these individuals and others who have walked our streets and been here in our town doing incredible work that changed the world, that had an impact far beyond Windsor. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.